Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again uh, from whichever part of the globe you're in. Thank you for tuning in at yet another episode here at amazic.com, where we talk to influencers, experts, and leaders in the Kubernetes and the cloud native space. Uh, that's our exclusive focus. And uh, we want to talk about all things Kubernetes, all things cloud native. And uh, KubeCon is happening just around the corner. And uh, so it's very timely as well that uh, we're talking uh, you know, about uh, this week, we're going to be talking specifically about uh, Kubernetes security. And uh, we talk about a lot of these kind of topics. So if you want to hear more like this, head over to amazing.com. We've got a lot of interviews, articles, job listings, event coverage, and a whole lot of stuff happening there. I'm Twain Taylor, editor at Amazing. And I'm joined today by Seth Goldhammer, who is the VP marketing at a startup named Spiderbat. And uh, they are innovating in the space of runtime security. And that's our main focus for today, runtime security. So if security has been on your mind, you're going to want to listen in closely as uh, Seth shares some of the key ideas that, uh, you know, uh, that Spiderbat, key things that Spiderbat is working on. So Seth, it's great to have you. Thanks for joining us today. Oh yeah, thank you, Twain. Really appreciate you having me on. Uh, if you could get started, Seth, with just telling us a bit about uh, yourself and uh, your background uh, up to Spiderbat, that would be a great start. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been in cybersecurity for for a long time. I actually had started a, a network access control company back in two thousand and one called Roving Planet, uh, where I served in product management, product marketing roles, and that was bought by Tipping Point, uh, which was a, a subsidiary of, of Three Common served as a product line director focused on, on security products for both Tipping Point and then the parent company, 3Com. Uh, mm -hmm. Then HP came in and bought that whole enchilada in 2010. Ah. <laughs> uh, I didn't last long uh, after the HP acquisition and was very fortunate to find right in my backyard was a, a company called Logarithm, uh, which there are about 100 people and uh, Chris Peterson, the co-founder, uh, CTO of Logarithm, was wearing many, many hats still. He was running product management. He was head of engineering. He was running IT, doing everything. Um, and so I, I came in as the first product manager to, to work with Chris. And uh, eight years, I, I was at Logarithm uh, and a building product management and product marketing and, and solution marketing teams uh, at Logarithm as we became a, a leader in the sim space and uh, really had a, an amazing time and, and appreciate all the, the relationships and amazing people that I got to work with there at, at Logarithm. Um, <clears throat> Spiderbat is actually the founders of Tipping Point. So this is going back to, oh, okay. uh, you know, so, so Mark Willoughby-Clamere, Brian Smith, uh, after they, they started Tipping Point, you know, which was, a, you know, really created the intrusion prevention space, uh, you know, network intrusion prevention. Uh, uh, when they left 3Com, they started a company called Click Security. And click security, you can almost think of it as a predecessor to what we call XDR now. They're, they're really trying to match that network telemetry and endpoint telemetry to understand, you know, if I saw an attack on the wire, did it land? What, what happened to, to that attack? Uh, and that the click security was acquired by a company called Alert Logic. They're a, a, a large managed detection response company. And there, they they learned a lot about the the security operations, uh, you know, the analyst and operations workflow. And really, what what led to them starting Spiderbat 
was seeing, you know, how we investigate investigation, uh, how we investigate uh, security concerns as we looked at cloud native environments, as we mm -hmm. saw really that, that, you know, the cloud and digital transformation as organizations that were taking place, that the ability to really understand what's happening in these environments, the ability to uh, be able to recognize something that needs your attention and have the information available to know what has happened, how did it get to this point, what's its impact, what its scope, just the existing tools really uh, just fell short. And that was the the impetus behind behind creating Spiderbat and why we're right. so focused on Yeah, this we're going to get to that in just a second. But yeah, we're going to get to all of those details, but yes. you know. Yeah. Um, yep. So that's sorry. My my I'm background sorry. bled into spider bat background. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was going to come to that actually, but uh, you know, it sounds interesting. Sounds like you've got a really deep, uh, you know, a background in monitoring and security. And, that's right. Uh, looks like you've uh, you know watched or been part of multiple acquisitions over the years. So yeah, that's that's pretty good. I think you know, uh, I think we'll be hearing from uh, someone with ground to the years over the years and. Uh, so it's, that's great. You know, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, so Spiderback, um, so without getting into all of the technical details, if you just give us briefly, you know, how long has it been that, you know, Spiderback has started? Um, just, yeah, we're, just We're fairly new. We, we've been in the market. Uh, so the, the company started a couple of years ago. We've been in the market for about a year. Uh, mm -hmm. Having said that, you know, certainly as I just talked about with the background behind Spiderback, there's a lot of many, many years of experience that mm -hmm. has gone into to Spiderbat beyond the, the years of the company. Mm -hmm. All right, all right, neat. Uh, so, you know, security, when I think of it, you know, the I think that we've had kind of like a watershed moment in the past uh, few, uh, let's say two years or so, where, you know, security has really uh, come to, you know, uh, into the spotlight, uh, especially with all of the, uh, the, the hacks we've had, you know, the solar winds and log4j and all the others. Um, huge, huge hacks, you know, that have affected uh, just thousands of organizations, mm -hmm. um, you know, so, you know, so with all of these things happening, uh, what impact has it had on security operations itself? How has that changed? And, you know, you, someone who's been connected, watching the space over the years, how have you seen these incidents itself? What kind of impact has it had on security? Yeah, I think that it, it's had a significant impact. You know, many, many people lost their Christmas last year due, due to <laughs> Lock4J. And, uh, you know, and you brought up uh, SolarWinds. That was you know, such an amazing uh, kind of uh, reveal, I guess, to, to the compromises that can occur within the supply chain. You know, we, we had been talking about insider attacks for a long time, but generally when we talk about insider attacks, it, it really spoke to compromised credentials. You know, someone who okay. uh, either a threat actor was able to, to, to guess at a password, weak passwords, or mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we've seen incidents where they bribed employees to, to get passwords. But generally mm -hmm. when we talk about insider attacks, that's what we talked about was somehow they now got valid credentials and were operating within your environment. Mm -hmm. and, and now we saw you know, instances where you know, the solar winds the actual software vendor itself was compromised in order to get to an end user or to their end users. Uh, we saw that with um, Kaseya, you know, the you know getting into uh, a managed service provider to be able to get to their clients with a ransomware attack, and mm -hmm. so it it really did open up many uh, you, know, uh, you know both on the security side 
But now on the development side, you know, can we trust our supply chain? You know, there are so many third-party components that we bring into our development, both commercial and open source. And mm -hmm. can we trust that these are, are, are actually uh, not only valid vendors, but they themselves have not brought something in that, that's already been compromised into our environment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely changed trust itself and the parameter and what is the parameter. Um, you know, and um, one of the ideas that the DevOps movement introduced was just shift left and how, you know, uh, the QA team and the ops team, you know, got to uh, be brought in earlier in the pipeline. But then recently, you know, uh, there's been talk about shift left security and, uh, you know, security being brought in earlier in the pipeline. Um, you know, what are some examples of this and, you know, what does it mean? Uh, what does shift left security mean in practice? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so it, what we've seen is, you know, just like you said, that as we've shifted left, we've brought testing further left and involved, you know, instead of having a siloed quality assurance group and waiting a little bit more waterfall, we've mm -hmm. now, uh, obviously, we have more continuous testing. How do we just continually develop tests as we're developing with, you know, faster iterations? Similar with security, what we've seen is, uh, we, we want developers to be thinking about security much earlier in the process, even in, uh, in the architectural phase, mm -hmm. to be considering security so that we're building applications that, that are secure as best as we can. Because mm -hmm. and as we'll get to, things still happen. <laughs> but we mm -hmm. want to, uh, as best as we can, ensure that we're not introducing vulnerabilities into our code, into our cloud configurations, in, in the platform itself, where a threat actor has an opportunity to, to take advantage. And we've seen, you know, if, if there is a foothold to be had, a threat actor will, will find it and, you know, they'll, they'll be able to then use that to, to find ways to, to, mm -hmm. to penetrate deeper into the environment. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we, we have seen, you know, you know, different organizations have different names, right? You know, whether they want to call it DevSecOps, uh, sometimes it's just a responsibility of an SRE or a platform engineer we're seeing security you know, definitely now much more involved in the development process where even in integration, in you know, testing environments, in staging environments, uh, being, you know, looking for vulnerabilities, both at the code and at the configuration uh, level, you know, through static code analysis, through, you know, products where I'm, I'm tracing application, you know, doing, performing application tracing um, and just the, the cloud configuration itself. And as we mm -hmm. get into, you know, containerized environments and orchestration with Kubernetes, one, these are not, it's not like we've had 10, 15 years of Kubernetes, you know, environments. Mm -hmm. We, these are very new, you know, uh, capabilities and uh, technologies and, and the configurations are fairly complex uh, mm -hmm. and become increasingly complex with, you know, larger projects, larger development teams. Mm -hmm. And so the opportunity for misconfiguration is extremely high. The opportunity to leave a certain you know variable out that opens you up to potential um, uh, uh, exploit is very very high, um, and so you know having a, a, an ability to continually look for whether it's vulnerabilities or misconfigurations becomes paramount uh, for for development teams in in the the site reliability engineering teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and you were talking about different, so you mentioned some of the different kinds of security priorities, you know, talking about uh, 
containers, you're talking about tracing and you know just monitoring the networking activity. So the uh, security itself, there's different components to it, you know, and uh, the conversation is definitely becoming deeper, which is a great thing, but there's different aspects to it, uh, you know, and so uh, Spiderbat, I can see focuses on runtime security. How does this tie into other, um, you know, aspects of security, like container security, networking security, and all of these other aspects of security? Sure. Yeah, we, we kind of see there's there's kind of three legs of uh, of the stool. There's kind of securing the build, they're securing the the, the platform, the, the cloud configuration, and then they're securing the workload. And mm -hmm. so we focus on that third, just what happens okay. at the workload at runtime. And the reason why mm -hmm. we, we look at runtime, you know, Gardner uses these terms of intended state and observed state. Mm -hmm. And and I really like that because the intended state is, you know, I, I've built an application to do X and it should behave in this way. As we all know, what we want it to do and what actually happens are not always the same. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's many reasons why, whether it's because I, I brought in some third-party component, which is supposed to only do X, but it also does this outbound network connection to an API service I didn't realize it did, or, you know, things along those lines. There's uh, or it's just my application itself that new features, new capabilities introduce new workload behaviors that were not anticipated. And so understanding what actually happens at runtime, not just the preparation, not just looking for vulnerabilities, but understanding now when it's running, what, what actual activities do we see? What actual behaviors do we see becomes as just as important to the preparation side uh, so that when something weird does happen, something outside of the expectation occurs, one, you know that that happens uh, because that's not always the case. Uh, there was a, a Red Hat survey of Kubernetes users and more than half of the respondents indicated that they worry about runtime the most. And it's because they have the least visibility to what's actually happening. So one is just detecting that something outside of your expectations occurred and then it's understandable well, what caused that. Is it from the code? Is it from the configuration? Is it from an external source, a threat actor? You know, so being able to make that determination as fast as possible to, to now remedy that becomes very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that, that's interesting. And uh, could you mention the Gartner term again? I just wanted to call that out because uh, it's important. Yeah, what Gartner calls uh, what they, they have two states. There's the intended state and the observed state. And okay. so what runtime, what we see is what actually happens at runtime is that observed state of what mm -hmm. actually happens when, when you execute that code. And executing that code doesn't mean production. This could mm -hmm. be an integration environment. It could be a staging environment. There are many environments where we execute our code before we get to production. And mm -hmm. in any of those environments, we can introduce vulnerability. We can introduce apparent behavior that can impact the, the platform or impact the, the application's performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this uh, actually ties into the whole idea of uh, being declarative, uh, which is very central to cloud native and Kubernetes, uh, that you declare every part of the stack and uh, you, know, you deploy what you declare um, and you expect that what's running is what you declared. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, uh, you know, organizations are at different points in their cloud native journey and, you know, not all of them uh, declare everything, you know, uh, 
a lot of it is done manually ad hoc you know so uh, that being the case how do you see uh, that is a challenge for security uh, but uh, how how would uh, you know something like a spider bat how does a product like spider bat uh, you know handle customers that are at different stages of their journey when it comes to being declarative yeah well the the, the first is really yeah just understanding just current state what actually happens uh, in, mm -hmm. in that observed state in that that runtime environment mm -hmm. uh, you know, across you know whether we're talking about pre-production to production mm -hmm. what what are our actual activities what what processes are run in our workloads what network connections get created what services talk to what services uh, getting just that steady state of activity in our kubernetes environment so now we can understand is do we want that behavior? You know, when mm -hmm. I built out this application, I expected it to do X and Y. Am I seeing something beyond that that I wasn't expecting? And is that okay? Mm -hmm. uh, there's an API call going out uh, to a, a different service. I didn't realize that took place. That might be completely fine. At least now it's a known as opposed to just something that's happening under the seams, under the covers. Uh, to your point, now I can, I can have that once I understand my steady state, now I can be more declarative. I can get put myself in a position where, all right, we're building a new feature. For this feature, we're going to need our cloud configuration to change in this way. We're going to now have these API calls. We have a new service. And within that service, there are certain files that get created in red. There are certain network connections that get created. I can now understand what, my, what I want my application to do and then observe is that what actually happens or are there other behaviors that, that came along for the ride? Mm -hmm. All right, all right, interesting. And you know, when it talks, uh, when it comes to like runtime, um, there's of course the angle of, you know, there's of course the aspect of, you know, what you defined and uh, deployed, uh, which is kind of like an inside out uh, approach to security. And then there's the outside in, which is, you know, the different, um, threat actors, the, the different CVs uh, that are surfacing each day. Uh, there's both these uh, directions that you need to take, you know, when it comes to security. Um, how does a spider bat approach this? Uh, where does it put more focus or does it focus on both in what way, if you could shed some light on that? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it does focus on both. It's funny, I use the exact same analogy. There's sort of the outside in and, and the inside out because mm -hmm. the outside in is, it's exactly that. They're threat actors. They're they're looking for any vulnerability, and it, it's sort of the old uh, analogy where you know we as protectors we have to know about every single hole and try to plug them up. They just have mm -hmm. to find one hole, okay. and they can get yeah. in. And yeah. so, it, it, unfortunately, it does. The advantage comes to them, uh, where you know as long as they can find any vulnerability that was missed in some way. Uh, they'll be able to, to find a potential foothold in. And there's mm -hmm. lots, you know, the, the easy answer is, well, just patch, right? Why, why don't you just patch mm -hmm. everything you need to patch? And in a real world, we know it just, it just doesn't happen that way. There are reasons why we can't always patch an application. You know, if I patch this you know, part of the application, this library isn't compatible with the new version, uh, you know, et cetera, right? So the, the dependencies really uh, become uh, an issue, or it could be, if I patch, I now need to redo this part of the capability or where you don't get a feature out in the time that we needed to get it out in. 
so it could just be a, a timing issue. And so there's lots of reasons why we don't, we, we, we take risk assessments. We say, we're not going to patch. We think it's low risk. Uh, we're going to just focus on these higher risk vulnerabilities. And we, you know, it, there's still a risk there, but it's within an acceptable risk. Well, acceptable risk means there's still risk. And, and so where SpiderBat, where we fall in is understanding exactly what's happening at the workload, understanding what, what your intended workload behaviors should be, uh, mm -hmm. and then recognizing either whether they're just new workload behaviors or there are indicators of compromise in actual, in, in actual uh, potential attack. What separates SpiderBat from others is that we're, we don't tell you about every single potential indicator of compromise. Okay. SpiderBat looks at the world through this lens of causality. We know what's caused what. This process started this process. This okay. process received a network connection. This process created a network connection. And, and uh, proactively, we're constantly building out this map of what's caused what. Within a container, across containers, service to service, we have this constant understanding of, of causality, of what's causing what. And as a result, it allows us to do a couple things. One is when we see a new workload behavior, we know what caused it. We know what actually instigated this new behavior. Uh, so that could be indication of, of an inside out attack, right? A supply chain attack, something you brought in on the inside, a compromised build server, a, a compromised supply chain, you know, third-party component, et cetera. Um, it also gives us the ability to see individual uh, what would otherwise be atomic or disparate detections, we see the relationship of these together. And what's interesting, when you look at real attacks, uh, you know, a, a web exploit, they come in through a, a compromise on, on a web server or web page, uh, do a code insertion, get to the shell. These things are noisy. Uh, but when you deal with logs, when you deal with event-based, uh, you know, detection mechanisms, you now have to recognize generally manually as the, as the operator, this activity is somehow related to this activity. Well, we connect those dots by understanding the cause. And so we can score those, the entire trace of activities. So regardless of the order of the flags, time, you know, a week between flag one and flag two, we just recognize there are multiple flags of compromise, potential compromise in the same trace. And that's what we bring to the operator's attention. Mm -hmm. Sounds really interesting. You know, the terms AI and machine learning get thrown around a lot, you know, and um, every other product these days says we do, uh, uh, we do, we use AI. So, you know, is, is, is AI and stuff being used at, at SpiderBat and in what way? I mean, is, is it at all AI or is it something else? It's not really, you don't really call it that. Yeah, it's really great question. It's funny because we, we have uh, two data scientists, at least two data scientists on our team. We're not using any machine learning in, in the mm -hmm. product yet. Uh, mm -hmm. There's certainly a lot of opportunity for it in, in, uh, in our technology. Uh, but we intentionally did not are not using AI or machine learning because what we build is this factual map. And we didn't mm -hmm. want there to be any concerns of, you know, there's an inference model that can somehow get it wrong. And now we have confidence scores. We're 60% sure this is what's happening. So mm -hmm. what, what we build is just a, a factual recording. Okay. It's, it, there's no guesswork. We're not guessing this process is somehow related to this process. We know we're, we're, we're collecting the system telemetry to understand 
the actual system calls between the kernel and the application to know that this is actually what caused what. And all mm -hmm. we're doing is capturing that information and now building up that map so that we mm -hmm. have it, we can now perform analysis on that map, on this contextualized map of what's happening as it's happening. And so that's, you know, maybe kind of a, a difference with SpiderBat versus uh, other, other technologies that I've worked with is, you know, Mark and Brian started with the picture in mind. They wanted to have this picture of what happened and they went backwards from the picture. All right, what are the analytics we need to build this picture? What's the data we need to fill, to feed into our analytics? You know, what I see a lot in the market is, let's collect a whole bunch of data and then let's run analytics on top of that data. Let's see what we get. And what you get is you get a lot of noise because, mm -hmm. and I want to say garbage in, garbage out, because that's not fair. There's a lot of really in, intelligent analysis that's being performed. It's just that with a lot of data, you're going to get lots of observations. Uh, and so what we what we did is just a, a very kind of an inverse approach of we want to be able to root cause anything that's happening in environments. We need to know the cause of everything. So how do we build that picture? Mm -hmm. Wow, really cool. I like that you just didn't tack on AI or ML as just for the namesake of it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the next question I have, though, is, uh, you know, when you're saying it's factual and it's based on actual data and the, you can actually say that this uh, is a concern for sure. Uh, I think the component of time becomes important. How soon can you say this? And, you know, is it really lagging? Uh, you know, that would be a problem. Is it real time? Uh, you know, how real time, you know, uh, if you could just shed some light on that, you know, how do you handle the time yeah. between, you know, it, it happens and it's reported and, you know, uh, the, the customer can actually act, uh, respond to it? Yeah, re re really good question. So there, in, in, in really what SpiderMap does, there's three ways that we can recognize some sort of intrusion. The first is admittedly a bit of a, a signature-based approach, but the signature is using that, those causal relationships. You know, so example, log4j, which you brought up earlier, we now know, you know, now we know what a log4j, an attack to that exploit looks like. We're gonna see a network connection come into a Java thread. We're immediately gonna see an LDAP outbound request followed by a Java class that gets downloaded. Uh, we're gonna then see some sort of activity on the shell. So there's this causal relationship between those processes and those network connections where we can recognize that. We know that's an exploit attempt to log4j. We know that it's landed. It actually got to a shell rather than just it bounced off the, the firewall or bounced off a patched version of log4j. And now we can take action on that. So that that's we call that a shield for known vulnerabilities uh, where we can now just immediately see that. We don't have to wait. Uh, to, to see, is this going to become an attack? Now, the, the other way uh, we can recognize an intrusion is, is just by recognizing new workload behaviors. So we can fingerprint a workload. This, this microservice, it runs these processes, it creates these network, you know, these API calls, it's expecting this one network connection to come in. And again, we know that that causal relationship, we know that this process is supposed to start this process and it's supposed to run as this effective with the effective user rights of this user. So we can build that into a fingerprint and now just tell you about, or even take action on new workload behaviors. So again, we, you know, other than having to build that fingerprint um, based off of previously observed activity, uh, once that fingerprint is created, there's no delay in our ability to take action. 
And then the third way, which is that scoring that causal trace, that's where we do want to see multiple flags. Um, so th there could be some time that we're, we're seeing multiple flags. Now, when we see real attacks, we're going to see multiple flags. But what's interesting is the time delay. I download a compromised you know, uh, library without realizing it. And a lot of the attacks, solar winds, right? They, they waited this random wait period between 10 to 14 days before they detonated their malware. Why 10 to 14 days? Well, they know most QA cycles or most iterations, they're two weeks. And, and so if they can wait outside of an iteration, now they're probably in another iteration, the malware the deploys, no one's looking at it anymore to see if this library does anything weird. And they can now kind of perform their uh, devious uh, activities, right? So if this does wait two weeks and now it that detonates and we start to see uh, concerning activities, not only do we recognize those concerning activities within a, a very short period of time, we also still know two weeks ago that this library was the source uh, when it was installed and, and executed. All right, really cool. Uh, you know, we're winding down, we've got the last few questions, uh, but yeah, I just want to ask about how uh, Spiderbat uh, collects its telemetry data. Um, you know, is there an agent? You mentioned um, events, logs, and tracing. Um, are these part of it? How, how does the, how does Spiderbat get its data? What data? Yeah, we, we use a, so what we're using is uh, eBPF, which is available. Um, so we do have an agent. Uh, that mm -hmm. agent is essentially writing eBPF filters to collect mm -hmm. process and network data. So eBPF, if you're not familiar with it, or those who are listening who may not be familiar, within the Linux kernel itself, uh, eBPF was an extension from Berkeley Packet Filters a long time ago. That's where like uh, TCP dump came from. You could Right, and, and it's interesting, it's, it's literally this virtual sandbox within the Linux kernel. And so it acts extremely efficiently to basically be able to ask the kernel, if I see a system call that looks like X, you know, it has you know, these particular features to it, tell me about it. And so we leverage eBPF to, to deliver from the kernel space to user space information about new processes, new network connections. Uh, so we're not trying to collect all things that EVP, I mean, you could actually trace every system call in Linux. Uh, so we have a, a very focused on, um, uh, collection of data from EVPF, which keeps it uh, extremely efficient, extremely lightweight. And we build, you know, essentially what's caused what, you know, we take that and, pro you know, we, we perform the processing on our side to basically build out that map and perform analysis uh, on that map as that data is coming in. So it's a, a purpose stream processing engine. Brian likes to joke, this is like a six like generation stream processing engine that he's created in his life. So we, we have a, uh, a lot of experience in doing this uh, really at, at real time. If you, if you recall tipping point uh, as a network-based IPS that had to look for malicious payloads at wire speed within packets to be able to block a flow well, obviously, we're not doing that with Spiderbat, but it's the same mentality of how do we do uh, this type of processing extremely quickly to make decisions, to make determinations. All right, all right, nice. Um, yeah, and uh, I want to ask about uh, 
you know, with Spiderback, is it uh, does it support hybrid uh, workloads as well, or uh, is it purely cloud focused? Yeah, really, really good question. We we uh, the underlying technology works on Linux systems. It doesn't have to be containerized. Even uh, it could be oh, bare metal right. Linux. Mm -hmm. uh, what the feature set we have built is uh, very container aware. So it allows you to see what's happening in a namespace, what's happening in a pod from service to service. Uh, so we've certainly built a lot of capabilities for containerized environments, uh, especially on the kind of the runtime visibility. Uh, but yeah, hy hybrid users who, you know, we, we have customers where they still have large, just you know, EC2 nodes, non-containerized, just running Linux on EC2 nodes. We have one customer that uh, they sort of inherited this large bare metal Linux environment. And what's interesting, one of their main, one of their initial use cases was that there was all this just things running on these Linux systems that they had inherited. And the security team was trying to make, you know, just trying to understand it. And they were, they were literally going line by line through scripts to try to figure out what these scripts do. What they, with Spiderbat, they just run the script. And then they can see the outcome captured by Spiderbot. Oh, this is what the script does. Um, so yeah, we, you know, so we we very much can operate in in hybrid environments. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, how does pricing work with Spiderbot? So we price per node. So and what's mm -hmm. interesting is by running you know on the Linux node itself, it doesn't matter how many containers uh, you're running. We're not a sidecar. We're not running as a container. Uh, so it becomes really easy from a deployment perspective. You know, we could just be added to like a Helms chart to, to deploy us out in a Kubernetes environment or just, even just like a Terraform or Ansible uh, script if you're taking us just to, to you know, EC2 nodes, for example. Um, and then from a management perspective, because you're not, you're not running us within each container as a sidecar within your cluster. Uh, we're just there on the node itself. Uh, so the pricing is... It's just based on on the node, and so those mm -hmm. nodes can come and go uh, right. throughout uh, the subscription period. Yeah, sounds fairly predictable the pricing that way. Uh, I noticed on your website that you have a game. Uh, it's called Defend the Flag. Uh, sounds fun. Could you talk a bit about it? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. It it really is fun. It's it and actually it came from you know when we were testing Spiderbat. One of us would go and essentially hack a system with Spiderbat running on it. And then we would have the spider, what we call a spider trace, right? That trace of activities that was captured. And we would send it over to someone else and say, hey, can you figure out what I did? And it actually, it's kind of fun to like, oh, okay, you came in through uh, you know, an SSH port and then you got to a bash shell and you know, you're following along the attack you know, as if you're sitting on the shoulder of that attacker. And so what we did is we gamified uh, our, our product where we have previously captured attacks or you know, other types of scenarios. And we just give you like five questions, like how, you know, what IP address is the attacker? Uh, how did they escalate their privileges to Bob? You know, things that, you know, if you're an operator, you'd be trying to figure out the answer to these questions anyway. And so they, they're real exploits. They're the real Linux systems or you know, containerized environments. Um, where we've left you know, some sort of vulnerability and then we've attacked it and exploited those vulnerabilities. So this is how it actually looks on, on the system. So we, we even have one of our customers, it was funny, we, all of a sudden we saw like 15, 20 signups for uh, Defend the Flag uh, from this one customer. And so we asked him, what, what is going on? 
They said, oh, what, once a week, we're going through one of your challenges. And so the, you know, the senior analysts, they're, they're teaching the, the juniors, you know, kind wow. of what this attack was and, and how it operated. Um, and so, yeah, they were just using it as a, as a training exercise just to understand Linux or Linux attacks. Not, you know, it doesn't even have to be about spider bat. Wow, full points for making security fun. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so with that, we uh, come to the end of our conversation around Spiderbat. I think it was quite enlightening. And thanks a lot for sharing all of those ideas. Really appreciate that. Uh, before you go, Seth, uh, just have a few questions uh, to get to know you a little better. Um, yeah, so here goes. Um, what, would you, what would be your alternate career if not for your job in tech? Yeah, it, it's funny. It, it's actually a more challenging question than you, you, you might realize. There's, there's really uh, the passions I have outside of technology. And I've been in, in computer science technology for a long, long time. But funny enough, I was an English and film studies uh, student as an undergrad. It had nothing wow. to do with computers. And so uh, writing and film are, are definitely areas that I just, I just love a lot. In fact, what got me uh, into film was screenwriting. I was actually writing screenplays uh, in college for, for fun. Uh, and I really enjoy the, the film industry. So in, interestingly enough, it still actually is connected to my day job today because it's all part of this creation process. And I think that's what I really like at the end of the day is just the, the creativity, the creation process and creating things. And so, yeah, my, my alternate career, I think it would, it would be a writer, uh, be probably writing uh, funny novels you would find in the supermarket checkout. <laughs> wow, really cool. So you probably have a very critical eye when you watch a Netflix show or a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I, I won't ruin it for people, but a lot of films, as diverse as films are, they follow a particular pattern in terms of when's the first turning point, the second turning point, what the third turning point is. And um, mm -hmm. once you know that pattern, you, you see it in every movie you watch. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Sounds really interesting. <laughs> um, one work tool that you can't live without? Yeah, uh, probably I would say, well, I mean, so Spiderbot's a virtual company. And as a virtual company, we, we basically live on Zoom and, and Slack. Um, and so th those are the, the two tools right now because it's my tether line to, to the rest of the company. Uh, we, you, when, when Mark and Brian started Spiderbot, this was pre-pandemic, decided that we were going to be a virtual company because in this day and age, you know, tying yourself to one location when there's talent all over the world, it just, it, they, they recognized that it just didn't make sense. And we, we could be better as an organization by drawing talent from wherever you know the, those individuals may be, um, so Slack, Slack and Zoom. I'll, I'll, I'll put a plug in for them. Yeah, the tools for today, Slack and Zoom. <laughs> um, what's one software tool or product that you think is very elegantly built? Yeah, I struggle. You, you, you'd send these questions. I, there's lots of lots of products that I think are elegantly built. I was trying to like, who, who do I want to? Um, give a, a props to <laughs> uh, in, um, in our time together. I, you know, um, yeah, I, 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 I didn't come up with a good answer as you can tell. Um, <laughs> I, I was thinking of a, a, a few different ones, um, but uh, I, I don't have a good recommendation for people. Yeah, sure. I, yeah just I, I'm not a great UI UX person. Yeah. I'll do, I'll do. 
<laughs> okay. Cool. Um, what's the last thing you Googled? So the, the last thing I Googled, you're going to laugh, but it was, uh, there's a, a website, their unofficial website that hosts all of the, the Kubernetes, uh, you know, during the, the conference next, next week, the KubeCon, the Cloud NativeCon, they list all the parties. And so I, okay. I Googled <laughs> for that website because I was, who, who's sponsoring what party, what parties are there going to be? So, uh, so, so maybe there's a tool uh, people might be interested in. They don't do it just for KubeCon. It's, it's a, uh, a funny um, uh, website, but they, they list for all the conferences, they find all the, the different parties that people are sponsoring, happy hours, et cetera. Uh, so if, wow. you're, if you like going to these conferences and socializing or, or finding ways to connect with, with others, uh, it's a pretty good website for that. Do you remember the name at all? I was, yeah, hold on. I, it is, uh, it's, just, it's called conferenceparties.com. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's pretty simple. <laughs> Check it out. Um, do you have a favorite tech blog or website a writer or book, anything that you, that comes to your mind when you think of? Uh, yeah. Um, well, so I, you know, on, on the marketing side, I'm a big fan of Seth Godin. Seth Godin is, um, yeah. he, he, the first marketing book I ever uh, read was called um, Purple Cow, yeah. uh, which was, it kind of got me. And, and I, and in fact, I, he's written many books uh, mm. and he's uh, actually, he shifted a bit of his focus from marketing to community building. He has a, okay. a great book called uh, Tribes, uh, which or, mm. yeah, Tribes specifically about uh, community building. Um, mm. And another book of his I love, uh, and I, I always recommend to people, regardless of what field they're in, uh, it's called Lynchpin. And, oh, yeah. and the book Lynchpin really describes how do you become essential to what your organization. So again, regardless of your role, how do you become someone who the organization really finds your, your necessity, you're someone who just helps that, that organization in unquantifiable ways. And so I, I always love recommending that book. He does have a blog uh, as well. Um, uh, he, he's on Twitter, although he doesn't post a whole, or he doesn't tweet a whole lot on Twitter, but uh, he does write uh, quite a, a number of articles on his, uh, his, his personal blogs. Yeah, I've been subscribed to his blog for more than a decade. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed at how consistent he is. Every yeah. day he writes, a few lines, you know, and it's amazing, quite insightful. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, uh, so where do our viewers find you online, Seth? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter um, and LinkedIn are probably the two, two best ways to find me. Um, uh, and yeah, definitely encourage uh, any, any discussion, conversation, questions. I, I enjoy uh, that, that type of interaction. All right. Uh, so on, on Twitter, I am so-called Seth. <laughs> uh, S-O-C-A-L-L-E-D, Seth, uh, so-called Seth, um, uh, at, on Twitter, if you want to find me. All there. right, cool. Thanks so much, Seth. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, really enjoyed our conversation. Um, and uh, for our viewers watching, I want to encourage you to head over to SpiderBat. It's spelled with a Y, right? Spider. That's right. Yeah, S-P-Y-D-E-R-B-A-T.com, SpiderBat.com. Yeah, so head over there and... Uh, definitely check out this game that they have uh, defend the flag uh, looks really fun um, so with that uh, Seth and I are going to sign off but uh, definitely head over to amazic.com as well and uh, you can continue uh, learning much more on these kind of topics as we keep talking about them thanks a lot for joining us everyone thank you Seth thank you very much really appreciate it